0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making theology central. What do I say? Do I say good morning? I mean, it's 1157 a.m. Central Time. I mean, it's almost lunchtime. In fact, my food is on its way. So, do I say good? I I mean, technically, I have to say. So, good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 22nd, 2023. It is currently 1157 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Guess what I have in front of me right now? Come on. Tell me. Tell me, what do I have in front of me right now? What do I have in front of me? Come on. Come on. Okay. Oh, wait. Well, maybe you don't know. Depending on which platform you're listening on, you may not even know the name of this uh, episode. So that would make it hard. This is another episode in our ongoing series on the doctrine of sanctification. We've been talking about the proper distinction between law and gospel. So we've been talking gospel, 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 gospel. The minute you start talking about gospel, someone's gonna immediately accuse you of being an antinomian, easy believism, they're going to attack you. So I thought, well, let's talk about sanctification to kind of talk about this issue of, well, if you're truly saved, then what 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 should what what should happen and what what should your life look like and What should or shouldn't you do? And now I believe there's lots of misunderstanding about sanctification. And I believe trying to use sanctification to prove justification is completely uh, wrong because how can you prove justification, which is based off an imputed righteousness, by looking at sanctification, which is the practical living out your life, just the whole thing. And then when we talk about sanctification, is it just the living out our lives or is there a positional aspect of sanctification? So then if you say, well, I'm going to look at your sanctification to prove your justification, well, my sanctification is perfect because there's a positional aspect of my sanctification. Oh, it becomes all complicated. But we've been working through it. We've been working through it. And we talk about sanctification really is this idea of being set apart. Now, we are set apart positionally. We are, we are, Christ is my sanctification. But then when we talk about being set apart practically, we are usually talking about an ongoing process. Right. That we're that this process is occurring slowly, but surely we're being more and more set apart. We're becoming more and more godly. We are becoming more and more holy. And what exactly does this look like? And can you use that to judge someone's justification? And we've talked about all of these issues. But at some point, you knew it had to show up, right? Because whenever you talk about sanctification, what does every church on the earth pull out? It, you can be talking about sanctification in a youth group. You're going to be talking about sanctification in a small group. You're going to be talking about sanctification in a congregation. At some point, someone's going to pull it out and say, here it is. Here it is. And it's always a Checklist. It's always like a test. It's like a self-evaluation test. Hey, we're going to talk about sanctification. Let's test and see how sanctified you are because they don't think about it positionally. They don't think about it. They always think about it in a prog- the progressive idea, this process, this ongoing. And so the only way to really talk about sanctification, they say, we've got to test it and we've got to see. And, and inevitably, it becomes like this. If you fail this self-evaluation test on sanctification, inevitably, they say it proves you were never justified, meaning they're now using sanctification to prove justification. And I, again, I don't know how many times do I have to repeat myself? That does not work. Because justification is based off an imputed righteousness. Therefore, you cannot look to someone's practical righteousness to prove justification. But you know, at some point, the test, the evaluation had to, had to show up. So, we remember, we're utilizing the personal study guide, summer 2023, Bible Studies for Life, the, the study guide that I have right here. And we looked last time at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, basically 5 through 7. We looked at that. We struggled with it, right? We we, we looked at a a, a section of Romans chapter 6, I should say. But guess what they have at the end? Self-evaluation. They have one of those checklists. Do you want to hear the checklist? I'm going to give you the checklist. And maybe we'll talk about it more in another episode. But at least want to get this out there so to get people thinking about it. Here we go this is what the evaluation says. Consider where you are in your walk with Christ. Ask God to help you see yourself accurately. Now, I cannot stand when they say, ask God to help me see myself accurately. What is God going to all of a sudden just give me some supernatural insight? No, if you want to see yourself uh, accurately, Compare your life to God's law, which he's already revealed. God does not have to reveal something else so that you'll see yourself accurately. All you have to do is either look to God's holiness. You will see yourself accurately or look at yourself in comparison to God's law. You will see yourself accurately. It's not some mystical supernatural like God. I cannot see myself accurately. Please give me supernatural insight. Well, if, if God's going to start giving us supernatural insight, well, then now it basically God's given us revelation outside of scripture. We get into a host of problems. It says, evaluate yourself. One equals, you don't do this at all. Five, sometimes, uh, five equals sometimes inconsistently. Ten, often true of me. Then write a prayer asking God to help you grow to be like him. Now, if God is going to help you grow to be like him, if God is the one who's helping you, then why can't God get me to perfection? This is the question I am never going to let go. Because Christians who never want to face this really, we always talk about God is the one who help you. God is the one who will empower you. But then they can't explain then why God can't get anyone to sinless perfection. Okay. But all right, so here we go. So one equals, you don't do this at all. Five sometimes, but you're inconsistent. And 10, it is often true of me. Are you ready? Here is your self-evaluation to supposedly that we can check ourselves right now. This, so far in this study of, of sanctification, we, we can, we can, we can check ourselves. All right. Here we go. Number one. I fight against controlling, ruling sins and my life. Do you fight against controlling ruling sins in your life? One, you don't do this at all. Five, sometimes, but you're inconsistent. Ten, it's often true of me. Do you you, you often fight against controlling ruling sins in my life? Now, I don't know what it means by controlling ruling sins in my life because sin in general controls and rules you because if it didn't control and rule you, then you could be sinless. But the fact that you can't be sinless means there's something controlling and ruling you, keeping you from perfection. So, but once again, nobody wants to describe it that way. They'll say, no, controlling ruling sins. They'll point like like pornography. They almost always go there. Like these things, lust or anger or bitterness. But I just want you to understand that however you try to phrase this, here's the reality. Sin controls and rules you because if you say you can't get to perfection, what's keeping you from per- – Perfection. What is keeping you from prote- from per, uh, perfection is controlling and ruling you. So, in one way, we're all controlled and ruled by sin. Now, on one end, I can make you just say, "Well, then I give up." But I, I, you have to struggle with what that what to do with that reality. But we cannot deny that reality. And what does it mean to fight against? Now, I will say this. We should be fighting against it. We should struggle with it. I got no problem there. But you know what? I mean, just think about this. Sometimes you can fight. This is so very important. Sometimes you can fight against a controlling, ruling sin and not do it for any godly reason at all. You're fighting against a controlling, ruling sin because, one, you know the consequences could be devastating to you, your life, other people. So you're fighting against it, not because of God, just because you don't want the negative consequences. You may be fighting against it because of the negative consequences that brings you. In other words, you could have very fleshly reasons for fighting against sin, a, a, a controlling, ruling sin in your life, and it has nothing to do with God. No one ever thinks about that. You could be doing it for fleshly reasons. Now, it's still great that you are doing it because you don't want to hurt or destroy something, but it still it doesn't make it prove your sanctification can prove that you just are smart enough to go, that can mess my life up. I can't do that. Something to think about. Number two, I seek to obey the Holy Spirit and not sin's desire for my body. Do you desire, do you seek to obey the Holy Spirit's desire for your body and not sin? Now, that's a good thing. We should seek it. Now, once again, sometimes guess why we seek to, quote unquote, obey the Holy Spirit's desire for my body and not sin? Again, it can be fleshly, selfish reasons. Nobody ever wants to talk about that. So we give these charts and it becomes this very kind of very black or white. And it's never black or white. It's always gray. How many things do you do in your Christian life that's considered good, right, and holy, but you're doing it for the most fleshly, selfish reasons? And, it, it may, and when I say selfish, it may be not to, you're doing it not to hurt someone else, but you're still doing it because you don't want to go through the pain and the trouble. You're still do, There's still a little bit of self in it. In other words, it, it, or you're doing it for someone else, you're still not doing it for God. Something to consider. Number three, I actively fight sin so that my body is not used as a weapon for unrighteousness. Now, to me, this seems very similar. One, two, and three, these seem basically are saying the same thing. I don't know why they're breaking these down. But so the bottom line is, are you fighting sin in your life? Now we should be fighting sin in our life. But I think I think the deeper question, if we're really going to talk about true biblical sanctification. Is why? Are you doing it because you seek to glorify God? Are you doing it because you, you are learning to hate sin as God hates sin? You're learning to see sin as God see. Are you doing so because you, you believe in God's, word? are you doing it? What, what, what's your motive? Nobody wants to talk about the motive, motivation that we're doing it. You can do the most righteous, spiritual, godly things for the most fleshly base reasons. You can do so for the most selfish reasons that's not true sanctification. That just creates a, a, a feeling of moral superiority and self-righteousness. Sometimes you can admit that you're doing all these right things and you've avoided this sin and this sin and this sin, and that is great that you've avoided it. And it's great that you've done these things to avoid because you haven't hurt this person and this person, and you don't have to feel guilty. But you may not be doing anything for godly reasons. Number four, I offer myself to God, remembering that I'm alive in him and dead to sin. Now, wait a minute. If you're dead to sin, then why are you fighting? Now, do you mean you're dead to sin positionally and you're trying to live that out practically? It says, I offer myself to God, remembering that I'm alive to him and dead to sin. Again, if you're dead, if you're truly dead to sin practically, then you don't need to fight against anything because you're dead to it. I, I can, I mean, if you need to do an experiment today, you know, put the kids in the car, drive to a cemetery, bring the, the uh, oh, before you get to the cemetery, stop at a convenience store, buy the, the the most unhealthy junk food you can find. Get a get a small bag of it. I mean, make sure it's good stuff, but it's unhealthy. Make sure it's good, right? Take it to the cemetery and then offer it to every person there who's dead. Every Go to every grave and see if anyone crawls out to take it. No, they're dead to it. If we're dead to sin, then sin would not have any power to us. Now, after you do this experiment, then everyone eat all the unhealthy food on the way home. Okay, you have my permission. Because you're doing it for spiritual reasons. Okay. So, but I mean it. I I mean you just go offer it. If we're Christians always talk about that we're dead to sin, but they never seem to articulate is this positionally or practically, because practically I don't think anyone's dead to sin. We're very much alive to it. Next, I offer every part of myself to God as his weapon for righteousness. Now, I believe we should be fighting sin. I believe we should be saying, God, here I am to serve you. I don't want to serve this, but Lord, forgive me because I keep serving myself over and over and over again. Now, here's the big one. Here's the last one. I'll read them all. I'll read them all one more time. All right. There, there, there's, there's not much here because they keep saying basically the same thing until the last one. And the last one to me is laughable. But you can tell me what you think. Here we go. I fight against controlling. I, I fight against controlling ruling ruling sins in my life. I fight against controlling ruling sins in my life. Again, I think you're playing a little word game because sin completely controls you and rules you because unless you can get to sinless perfection, something is keeping you from it and whatever's keeping you from it is ruling you and controlling you. Number two, I seek to obey the Holy Spirit and not sin's desire for my body. Number three, I actively fight sin so that my body is not used as a weapon for unrighteousness. Next, I offer myself to God, remembering that I'm alive in him and dead to sin. Next, I offer every part of myself to God as a weapon for righteousness. And then here's the last one. Sin does not rule over me. Now, what Christian can ever say sin does not rule over you? As long as you cannot get to sinless perfection, sin is ruling over you. You can say, that sin doesn't rule over me, but sin in general is ruling over you. You sin in thought, word, and deed every single day. What Christian could honestly write? I want, I want to give this list to Christians. You should give this list to Christians uh, anywhere you can find them and see how they answer it. If, if you know a Christian says, sin does not rule over me, I would, that person is, I don't know what has happened to them. They have been so brainwashed into Christian needs that they can't even see the reality in front of them. Do you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? No, you don't. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? No, you don't. Are you holy as God is holy? No, you're not. Well, then so sin is ruling over your life. And then it says to write a prayer. All right, so now they have a spot where you can write a very short prayer. There's not much room here, so you can't write much. And then here is the real kicker. You ready? They have Galatians 5.16. They have Galatians 5.16. Now, we're not going to have time to take this verse apart, but this is one of, those most, one of the most disturbing verses maybe in the entire Bible. Galatians 5.16. You're not going to think it's disturbing. I think it's disturbing. All right, because nobody has a good answer for this. Galatians 5.16 Then I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Seemingly to imply that all you have to do is walk in the spirit and you will never sin again. So anytime you sin, it's because you're not walking in the spirit. But how do you walk in the spirit? Typically, you're told you walk in the spirit by reading your Bible, going to church, pray. You're giving all these lists of do's, 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 do's. In other words, you walk in the spirit by obeying the law. So now, if, if walking in the spirit is equals obeying the law, well then, to walk in the spirit, I couldn't be, <laughs> the, the whole thing is, is, it's like a circle, right? If, if to walk in the spirit means not do, committing sin, well then, This says, if I walk in the spirit, then I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but you're telling me to walk in the spirit. I can't be fulfilling the lust of the flesh and walk in the spirit. So is it the walking in the spirit that leads me to not fulfilling the lust of the flesh or is it walking in the spirit? I have to, I have to no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh in order to walk in the spirit. Do I walk in the spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh? Or do I have to not fulfill the lust of the flesh so that I'm no longer walking in, so that I am walking in the spirit? It's like it's a circle. Which comes first? The not fulfilling the lust of the flesh? Okay, now I'm walking in the spirit. And because I'm walking in the spirit, then I will no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh, but I had to stop fulfilling the lust of the flesh in order to walk in the spirit. And typically when you ask people how to walk in the spirit, they give you a list of things which you're supposed to do, read, go to church. So now it's law keeping. So if I keep the law, I will not walk. I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you know what? You're absolutely right. If you keep the law, you will not walk. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I completely agree with that. If you, keep the, if you keep the law as it's originally meant, the external and the internal, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The problem is you're never going to keep the law. Now, if I'm in Christ, I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh positionally. How do we understand this? So their so they're thought, they're, this is the way they're basically giving this on this page. Oh, you failed that test? Well, you know why you failed the test? You didn't walk in the spirit. If you would walk in the spirit or walk by the spirit, you would not concur- con- uh, carry out the desires of the flesh. Then someone cries out, how do I walk in the spirit? Well, you got to do this and do this and this and do this and do this and do this and do this. So basically I have to be perfect to walk in the spirit. Well, obviously if I was perfect, I would not be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Nobody ever stops to think this through. So when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to the doctrine of sanctification, and this is the last page in their discussion of Romans 6. We, we didn't really get into this, and we, and we may come back and do some more work on this, but I think our, our work on Romans 6 I thought was pretty good. We, we, maybe some stuff we need to go back and work on. But I, I just want to ask, where does self-evaluation really come into play? When it comes to checklist and test, that's so common in the evangelical world. How do you know you're saved? Thirteen test, a thirteen point test. How do you know you're being sanctified? A thirteen point. There's always test and questions and tests and questions because we love that stuff, right? It's easy to it's easy to print it out and give it to everyone in your small group or into church. It's easy to preach. It's easy to teach. You give everyone the thing. You give a basic explanation. It's simple sermons, simple lessons. But I wonder what it actually does for anyone. I think the test that people give to prove your justification, to prove your salvation, typically leads to nothing but discouragement and, and well, it destroys assurance and makes you doubt your salvation because you're looking to your works to prove your salvation when you should be looking to the work of Christ. And I think these tests about sanctification should just show you that you're never truly sanctified from a practical standpoint. And any advancement you make, when you start looking at these tests, you have to start convincing yourself. Well, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. But no one ever stops to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is your motive for doing it? Your motives could be fleshly and wrong. I just want you to know. And and I and I really do want you to spend some time on Galatians five sixteen. I do want you to spend some time on Galatians five sixteen. I don't think in this particular study that we have here in front of us on sanctification that we're kind of utilizing. Yeah, they don't cover Galatians five sixteen, which is crazy. I mean, you're going to if you think if you're going to talk about sanctification, you think Galatians five sixteen would just be like, hey guys, we're going to make this easy. You want to be sanctified? Walk in the Spirit. You walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Problem solved. Here are the five steps you have to do in order to walk in the spirit. Here's the 10 things you have to do to walk in the spirit. Problem solved. Now, what I always hear this is preached is, yes, if you will walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You, it, and they will say it dogmatically. And then somewhere in the sermon, they'll go, however, small print, um, you're never going to do this perfectly. So therefore, you're going to continue to sin. Well, wait a minute. If I'm never so, can I actually walk in the spirit, or can I only do it for brief periods of time? And would that mean if I'm walking in the spirit, I'm not sinning not only externally, but I'm not even sinning internally? I think it's a question that has to be asked in this series. I don't have a good answer with Galatians five sixteen. If, you would, if you're participating in this study, I know we're still working on Jeremiah and we got some, um, I think, exciting things to do with Jeremiah to try to get us to, we're going to do some, try to do, do a lot of extra work between now and the end of August to get us to the, to the finish of that study, hopefully. But I will say this, if you are participating in the sanctification study and doing any of the things I'm asking, I would ask you to just listen to maybe four sermons. You can use the Sermons 2.0 app. The Sermons 2.0 app and listen to four sermons on Galatians five sixteen, and just see how they approach it. What's their answer? Is it possible? Is it not possible? Can we do it? Can we not do it? What 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 actually is it promising? Four sermons. Pick them at random. Pick them at random, and then if you if you find if if, if I'd love to just summarize what you learned in those four sermons. Listen and summarize. Use the sermons 2.0 app, do a search for Galatians 5.16, pick four sermons at random, just listen, and then summarize what you've learned to see if that gets you any closer to that. It's just crazy. Here's this chart. Anyone looking at the chart's going to be like, I don't really know how well I'm doing on this. And then it's like, hey, well, the problem is you're not walking in the spirit. Now, what's crazy is they don't tell me how to walk in the Spirit. Whoever put this together didn't bother to give us the, hey, and then their entire study that don't cover, cover Galatians 5.16. How is that possible that they don't cover it? All right, there you have it. I wanted to at least bring that up. I've, I've had it open. I've had this study open on my table here to this self-evaluation chart. And I just keep looking at it every day going, Okay, some point i got to turn on the microphone and talk about it. So I had a brief, I had a little small window of time, and I thought this would be a good time to at least mention it. Love to get your thoughts on it. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Your assignment is very simple. Think about this chart and just the whole, or these tests and these evaluations that are given out so much in the evangelical world. You can ask yourself what you think they prove or don't prove. But then I want you to consider Galatians 5.16, since that seems to be the answer to pass the test as you need Galatians 5.16. Well, how do we? How should we understand Galatians 5.16? Listen to four random sermons on the Sermons 2.0 app and just summarize them. You don't have to go detail. You don't need outlines. Just summarize what you learned. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. I'm going to go... I'm going to go get food and try to figure out exactly how all of this works. But I think it's something that has to be discussed. And someone's got to ask the hard questions. Because too many times I hear sermons where everybody's sitting there going, amen, 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 because it sounds supposedly so good. But when church is over, if you start asking some hard questions, they don't have any good answers because I never really think about it. They don't really ask the hard questions about some of the, some of these issues that preaches is so good. It preaches good and everyone will say amen and they may even <laughs> applaud. But that, what does it really mean in a practical way? Nobody really knows. So everyone just kind of pretends like they understand it and they know it, but they don't really know what to do. And you know what they continue to do? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they sin, they sin, they sin, they sin, they sin, they sin. And they have to convince themselves that they're not, or they have to pretend it. And it leads to self-righteousness and it leads to confusion. And for many, it leads to discouragement, depression, and maybe deconstruction because they don't know what to do. They think this whole thing is not working right. All right, news, if at yahoo.com That's news, if at yahoo.com Everyone have a great day. Hopefully, if you're having lunch now, you have a great lunch. I'm going to go get some food, and uh, we'll talk more sometime today. We'll do some more live broadcasts some point today, depending on how things work. A lot of uncertainty, so I can't give you a specific plan. But if I can, I've got some ideas, and we'll see if we can get to them. Thanks for listening. God bless.